All right, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. We started last Wednesday in a mini-series on the prayers of Paul. And uh, today we'll be in the second message of that. And I don't know about you, when you hear about prayer in church, inevitably, at some point in a talk on prayer, or in a message on prayer, or in a lesson on prayer, Inevitably, the topic comes up about the prayer list. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've grown up in church, and I've heard a, had a lot of people give me sample prayer lists. I've given out a few myself uh, with first steps. And uh, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, can it, about how many things you put on your prayer list. I mean, if you just take the advice of all the stuff you hear out there about what to pray for, your prayer list will have things like being thankful and that, you could spend an hour or two on that. Praying for sick folks, praying for financial needs. Of course, there's people, pray for us, we're traveling, keep us safe, and we ought not take that for granted. Pray for wisdom. We could stop there for a while, right? Woo, need a lot of wisdom. Praying for relationships, broken relationships, strong relationships, a lot of relationships. Hey, sometimes you might pray for some pets who are sick of loved ones, pray for your church. Man, there's a lot going on, Fellowship Baptist Church alone, let alone all the churches that you may be connected with or know people at. You could pray for your country. And man, there's a lot to pray for there. That's a lot of stuff. But I want to ask you tonight, all the things we could line our prayer list with, I want to ask you this question. What do you think was on Paul's prayer list? Now, I don't know if Paul had a prayer list. I mean, I gather he didn't know how to write. He always had to have someone write for him, right? And he dictated uh, the letters that he wrote. But just imagine with me, if Paul had a prayer list, what was on Paul's prayer list? Well, if we go by what's recorded in Scripture, really Paul's prayer list, other than the gratitude that we talked about last week, all of his prayer requests that he asked for essentially fell under two categories. And that's what we're going to talk about this Wednesday and next Wednesday. If you looked at Paul's prayer list, Paul wouldn't have, in his letters at least, recorded a lot of prayers about sick people. Uh, He didn't even have a lot of prayers about financial needs. Uh, Obviously, he trusted the Lord to provide those. He talked about that in some of his letters. But in all of Paul's prayers, all the prayers he recorded... Here's what they focused on. Two topics. Number one, the spiritual needs of people. And number two, the progress of the gospel. And I can't help but look at Paul's prayers and look at my prayer list and think sometimes I think I'm missing out on an element of prayer because while Paul's prayers were primarily focused on those two things, so often I can get in a rut, and my prayer list has none of those things. Can I get a witness? And I can't help if you feel like I felt that your prayer list doesn't quite incorporate the elements of what we find in Paul's prayer list. I think tonight you could be helped by the message. Now, I'm not saying the other things are bad to pray about. If you are here last week, we talked about that. I think if you study the prayers of David... If you study Jesus' teaching on prayer, if you study Paul's prayers, we could go into the Old Testament and talk about other prayers that were offered. 
here's what I think. All of them add a different dimension to our prayer life, right? We, we, we did the series called Praying Through. And the dimension that that added to our prayer lives is that we can be real and vulnerable with God while we're struggling with different emotions and struggling with different life circumstances. But over the next two weeks, we've already completed one, I want to add one more dimension to our prayer lives. And I think we get that from the Apostle Paul. But here's the question. If we're going to pray like Paul prayed, how do we do that? And here's the first one. It's already on the screen. If you're going to pray like Paul, here's the first thought I want you to write down. Your spiritual investment in people must go beyond Sunday. If you're going to pray like Paul, your spiritual investment in people must go beyond Sunday. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians. I told you chapter 3, I lied. Look at chapter number 2, verse 17. I want you to read this, this, this text But I want you, and I'm going to try and give you some of this. I want you to feel the emotion that Paul was feeling as he wrote this. Look at verse 17 of chapter number 2. He's writing to the church. He says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Do you get the sense that Paul had a love for these people? That he had a deep investment in their lives? And if you want to understand and appreciate Paul's love for these people, you have to understand the circumstances that caused his separation from them. If you are to look at Acts chapter number 17, we won't go there and read But you'll find that when Paul established the church at Thessalonica, he was only there for 10 days. Now, I hate to break it to you, but I think the process of us starting a church in Garden City might take more than 10 days. And I sure hope my 10 days doesn't end like Paul's 10 days. Because Paul goes in and the scriptures tell us in Acts 17, he preached the gospel in the synagogues for three days. Right? And he's reasoning with them, just as his custom was. He'd go in the, uh, the synagogue, he'd preach to the Jews, he'd show them from the Old Testament scriptures how that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of those scriptures. And we get the idea that there was quite a few people that got saved, not just Jewish people, but Gentiles as well. And then as Paul is discipling them, he's barely a week into it. I mean, he's just starting up first steps. I mean, he, they just got saved. Three days in, he's got one week to disciple them. He doesn't know he only has one week, but he's just a few days into discipling them. And the Bible tells us in Acts 17 that some of the Jews were not having great uproar, which I don't know if that's drama or the fact that maybe Paul was leading a lot of Jews to Christ. And it it was really emptying their synagogues. And so here's some people who are stakeholders in this, this place of worship, this synagogue, and they're not happy about the progress of the gospel. And so Acts 17 tells us And the beautiful King James language, I I laugh every time I read it. It says that these guys recruited certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. I love that phrase. Can you picture what a certain lewd fellow of a baser sort might look like? I would name some church members, but I might get in trouble. These are like bouncer types. And so because these Jewish folks didn't feel like they could, you know, 
muscle them up. They recruited some other lewd fellows of a baser sort. And they went, the Acts 17 tells us, in the house of Jason. And you get the idea that they kind of roughed up these believers. Roughed up Paul, threw some of them in prison. And it was so bad, the believers in Thessalonica, who had known Paul for no more than 10 days, didn't ask him to leave. They told him that he should leave. Now, I don't know about you, but for me as a new convert to tell an apostle of God, you need to leave. His life is probably in real danger. I don't know, maybe they knew what kind of lewd fellows of a baser sort these was, and they said, Paul, you don't want to stick around. You need to leave. And so can you imagine, there's several several of you in here tonight that do first steps. Can you imagine the heartbreak of Paul as he's, Watch as God has been doing this amazing work in Thessalonica and people are getting saved left and right. I mean, you know, we, we enjoyed Sunday night when five people got saved after hearing the testimony of seven people got saved. That was Paul's week, man. Oh, people are getting saved left and right, left and right. And he's discipling and teaching the scriptures. Then all of a sudden it comes to a stop because there were some people that didn't like the progress of the gospel. And so they threatened them with their lives. And so Paul separated. And 1 Thessalonians is Paul writing back to this church because his heart is aching to be with them. I might say it this way. Paul had moved on geographically, but he left his heart in Thessalonica. Paul's love for his church, pay attention to this church, his love for the people of his church was not limited by his location. I'm going to say that again. His love for the people in his church was not limited by his location. But when he was separated from them, his distance may have increased, but his heart grew more fond for them and his love for them deepened. I want you to look at chapter 3, verse number 10. I want you to feel the emotion. Paul says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. Paul loved them deeply. His heart was intertwined with theirs. I, I just imagine what Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. It's just so much more clear that Paul had a great burden for the churches that he led after describing the persecution he faced. How he'd been left for dead. How he'd been beaten with stones and with rods. Paul says, all of those things weigh on me. I feel the pain. I feel the pressure. But beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul had a heart that was deeply invested in these people. He loved them deeply. And listen, church, he didn't just love them when he was near them. You could separate him by thousands of miles. And his heart was still with them. But why was Paul so desirous to see these people? Why was his heart aching within him? Was it that he wanted to see how big their kids were? Was it that he wanted to hug their neck? Was it that he wanted to do a Monty Elmore handshake, pound it, and hurt his hand? No. Paul was concerned about their faith. I want... It's amazing how often he mentions it in chapter number three. I want you to notice 
how often he expresses his concern about the standing of their faith. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. He says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we couldn't wait any longer. We thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, the, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your what? Faith. Some of you aren't reading. you got to read with me. Look at verse number 5. Look at verse number 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Look at verse number six. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, so Timotheus came back and brought us good tidings of your what? Faith and charity. And that you have good remembrance of us always. You didn't forget about us. Desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Verse number seven. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you and all our affliction and distress by your faith. faith. Yeah, you're getting it. I need to do a different word so you don't know the answer. Look at verse number eight. For, he says, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. If you look up that word live in a Greek dictionary, the idea there is Paul says, our anxiety is removed when we know you're standing fast in the Lord. Do you get the idea that because Paul was separated from these believers, it's not just that he wanted to see them because he couldn't check up on them on social media. It's that he was deeply concerned about their walk with God. And that when he didn't know if the persecution they were enduring would shake their faith, it, it gave him anxiety. And he said, when I heard that you were still trusting God, the relief I felt was amazing. But he said, I still want to see you. Look at verse number 10. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Why was Paul so concerned about the faith of people that he knew for 10 days? For Americans, we think you're a busybody if you're concerned about the faith of someone you know for 10 years. But Paul was concerned about the faith of someone he knew for 10 days. Look at verse number 13. He's giving his list of prayer requests. We'll cover this in a minute. But I want to give you the idea before we read it. Sorry. Down, up, down, up. Yeah. Here's what verse 13 is going to show us. That Paul's prayers were motivated by the fact that his fellow believers were going to face judgment from Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 13. He says, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Church, I want to remind you that there is a judgment day coming, not just for people who don't know Christ, but there will be something that we call, when we look at the scriptures, the judgment seat of Christ. That every single believer in Jesus Christ will stand and will be judged by Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So, so yes, people who don't know Christ will stand before God, and, and whether or not their names are written in the Lamb's book of life will determine whether or not they'll end up in heaven or hell. But if you've accepted Jesus Christ, if you've believed in him, that doesn't mean you won't face judgment. 
That doesn't mean your life will not be held accountable. The day will come for every single believer in here, young and old, 70 years of service to our Lord Jesus Christ and 70 days of service to our Lord Jesus Christ. You will stand before God and you will be held accountable for how you served him. And Paul said, my hope for these people is that when you stand before God, you will, be, you will stand unblameable in holiness. Why? Because we serve a holy God and he expects his people to be holy people. Can I remind you that when the Bible talks about of people being ashamed at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's not talking about unbelievers. That the coming of Jesus Christ to first century Christians was so serious that it filled a lot of Paul's writings. It filled a lot of the writings of the letters to the churches that they were so greatly concerned that their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ would stand before God and would have a good account before God when they stand before him. He was desirous that these people would live a life that would honor God when they stood before him one day at the judgment seat. And I think we ought to be reminded that you and I will stand before God and you will not give an account for your sin, I believe, because your sin was judged at the cross, but you will give an account for what you did for Jesus Christ. How good of a steward you were with what Jesus Christ gave you to handle and you will stand before him and you may even feel shame that day, the Bible says. Or you may face reward, and I hope all of us, get to experience the joy of being rewarded by Jesus Christ. But when Paul is looking at these believers and thinking about these believers, here's what I want you to understand is that Paul had a spiritual investment in this church that went beyond Sunday. And if you're going to pray like Paul, and I'm going to pray like Paul, there has to come a point in your life where your spiritual investment in people is not limited to one day of the week that your spiritual investment and your love for the people that you worship with in particular goes beyond Sunday. It goes beyond Sunday. Can I remind you that it doesn't take much of a reading of the New Testament to understand that the biblical examples we have in scripture show that believers, their lives were deeply intertwined with one another. That the believers spent a lot of time together and were invested in one another's lives way outside the bounds of we just sit next to each other in church. Can I just show you two verses? Paul wrote in Romans 12, 15, he said this, weep, rejoice with those who do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know what he's saying? Your life should be so deeply connected with the people of your church that when they experience highs, you're excited with them. But your life should also be so connected to the people in your church that when they are at their lowest, you grieve with them. If your relationship with believers is nothing more than sitting down the row from them on Sunday, I don't think you really share in that verse. I don't think you'll ever know what it's like to rejoice with those who re rejoice. You know why we rejoice with people who are rejoicing? Because our lives are so connected with them, we kind of feel their excitement. You know? Like, have you ever felt excited for somebody? Be not because it had anything to do with your life, but because you're like, I care about you so much, and I know how happy that makes you feel, so I'm happy too. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, like there's someone in our church who've gotten job promotions and raises. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So I, I know how much that means to you. I know how much you've been praying about that. I know how much that impacts your life and your finances. I'm rejoicing with you. But I've also been around people who face some heartaches and some distresses and some burdens. And it should weigh you down if you care about people. That's what the Bible says about our relationship with church people. I want you to look at Acts chapter number 5. In verse number 42, talking about the church, it said, And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Hold up. That's not talking about church. Now, I mean, if you want daily church, we could make it happen. All right? We've got a large, a large enough staff we could rotate. This is not talking about church, though. This is talking their daily life was talking about the scriptures and telling others about the scriptures and studying the scriptures, that was just their life. It wasn't just when they worshiped together. They were in the scriptures daily. And in, not just in one person's house, but in every house. Go to the Varnes house, the Varnes farm, as I call it. Study the scriptures there. Hop on over to the Prater household. Study the scriptures there. Go out to Kismet Plains with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ out there and study the scriptures. That's what the church was like in the book of Acts. No wonder when you read the book of Acts, I think it's chapter number two or chapter number four, when people can't, had deep needs of poverty in the church, no wonder they said, oh man, I care so much about your financial well-being. I'm going to sell this investment property I have just to help you make ends meet. You know why? Because their investment in their church was way beyond Sunday. Their love for believers was not limited to their location and their proximity with them. No, they were deeply intertwined with the people in their church. And here's my burden tonight. We could be talking about the prayers of Paul, and I don't want your takeaway from tonight's sermon to be another thing on your prayer list. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be another thing on your prayer list. But if that's the only way you live out the application, you've missed the point. Because if it's just another item on your prayer list, it's probably going to be another item on your prayer list that you forget to pray about. But the reason Paul prayed for people was not just because he added one more thing to his prayer list, but because his spiritual investment in them was way beyond Sunday. And it was not limited to just when he was in the same location with them. So I began to think, Pastor Tyler, what do we have to do? We look at the Apostle Paul, and he has this deep investment in the lives of people he spent 10 days with. Can I remind you that? 10 days. I mean, you, you could spend all day with someone for 10 days. And logically speaking, you should be deeper invested in the lives of people you've known in this church for 10 years than that still. But we're not all the Apostle Paul. And we're not all as spiritual as him. There are probably some things that happened in his life and his heart before this deep love for people that maybe isn't shown in the text. And I want to give you two just sub-thoughts. If you want to have a deep investment in believers that goes beyond Sunday, there's two things that have to happen in your life. And these are not from the book of 1 Thessalonians, but just from life experience and ministry experience. Here's the first one. If you want to be spiritually invested in people, you have to realize that as a follower of Jesus, life isn't about you. It's not about you. Can I remind you that our Lord, our example, the one whom we follow, was, was one whose ministry 
was exhausting himself to meet the needs of people. That his life, his short life, mind you, I put the word ended in quotes, ended with him dying a gruesome death, not because he deserved it, but because he loved us. And he gave his own life as a sacrifice on behalf of those he loved. He taught his followers. Do you remember we heard a sermon about on Sunday uh, of this same thought? That if they are going to follow him, don't even bother following him unless you are willing to what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Can I remind you that's not to take up your small life burden? Picking on my burden. Picking up my sickness. No, you know, you know what that means? He's telling his followers, following me probably means you're going to die. So just get ready to die. That's the Mike Collins translation of that verse. Pick up your cross and follow me. Just get ready to die because if you're going to follow me, you might as well give up your life now so it's a little bit easier later on. That if you placed your faith in Jesus and said, I'm going to call him my Lord and my Savior, that ought to mean that you are going to live a life of self-sacrifice. That life is no longer about you because as Paul said, you are bought with a price. That your life is not your own. That you are crucified with Christ. That daily you die to yourself. And I'm afraid that as followers of Jesus in America, we've got it all backwards. Oh, it just makes me want to puke when I hear churches call church an experience. Not because it's not an experience, but because what does it do? It it points Christianity back to you. Oh, we go to church and we hope, man, I hope they sing our favorite song. We sing holy, holy, holy. Half the crowd's like, ah, snoozer. We sing great things. Half the crowd's like, I don't like these new songs. Can I remind you that following Jesus isn't about you? We hope they sing our favorite songs. Man, we hope people don't make changes to our ministry. And we hope people make us feel welcome. Can I remind you that if you're a blood-blood believer in Jesus Christ, life is not about you. And the more you realize life isn't about you, the more your life can be a funnel of ministry to other people. You know why Paul could literally lay in a pit and have rocks thrown on top of him until he's almost dead because he had made the decision a long time ago that life wasn't about him. And so when he spent 10 days with the Thessalonians, you know what he realized? Life isn't about me. And so I'm ministering these people and I may be separated from them, but because life is not about me, I'm still concerned for their well-being, not mine. If we're going to have a spiritual investment in people that goes beyond Sunday, I'm just going to be blunt with you, church. You have to realize that life isn't about you. And I think the greatest thing holding some of us back, pay attention, the greatest thing that's holding some of you back to be a funnel for Christ's ministry in this church is you haven't quite let go of the fact that life is not about you. People in ministry... And I'm not saying I'm perfectly selfless. Let's be real. You can ask Shelby. She's home with a sick kid tonight. She wins the selfless award, right? I'm not perfectly selfless, but I've realized this about the ministry, and this is the same about church life. Because you're, you're all ministers. It's not just we're the ministers and you're the minister too. No, no, no. We're all ministers ministering together. 
that your effectiveness in ministry to people is in direct proportion to how much you realize life isn't about you. The people in this church who are, who are the hands and feet of Christ to hurting people, I would bet my money, if I was allowed to, that they are very selfless people and that they don't think life is about them. I think sometimes we come to church and we just wish people, because we're, we're just selfish people at our core, right? Oh, I wish people would minister to me. But it's not about you. I think Paul walked into Thessalonica thinking, man, I sure hope this town makes me feel welcome. Because <laughs> he knew better. But here's the second thought. I don't want to part too long there. Is that if you're going to be deeply invested in people in a way that goes beyond Sunday, you have to gather with people beyond Sunday. Amen. Gather with people beyond Sunday. Why? Because when we come to church, we put on our church face and we do the church thing and, and oh, it's just horrible. I think it's American Christianity to a degree is that we feel the need. There's just something in us. We can't even like shake it. It's part of our culture. That church is the day to impress people. Maybe make sure my clothing impresses people. Let me make sure they don't know I have any faults or cracks. That we come to church and, and I'm just telling you, You'll never get beyond that level of people unless you gather with them beyond Sunday. And realize that all of us are just normal people. You know what's helped me? At random times in my week, I stop and think, what's, what's that church member up to? And I, it's not that I have a busybody sense, but I think, you know, they're probably dealing with their kids, rushing around, trying to get dinner, Probably have their own burdens, their own stress. I'm stressed out at work. Well, everyone else is stressed out at work. All of us are stressed out. And when you spend time with people outside of church, you realize that we're all just normal people that really need each other. Amen. We really need each other. And, and man, my heart, my desire is that maybe out of this message, there'd be more people who would, who would let God spring in their heart a heart to minister to people beyond Sunday. To minister to your Sunday school class beyond Sunday. To minister to your connection group beyond Sunday. You say, oh, I'm not a connection group leader. So what? So what? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because that's the command. That's the type of person the command to provoke one another to love and good works. That was given to believe, regular old believers in Jesus Christ. Not to any special tier. My heart would be, man, would there be some more people that would have a spiritual investment and people that goes beyond Sunday. But, but here, here's what has to happen. You can't just love people. Like I'm looking at the crowd, there's some loving people here. You, you just naturally love people. But if you love people, here's what I thought about. A care for people will always produce prayer for people. A, a deep care for other people will always produce specific prayer for people. And that's what happened in the life of Paul. Here's the second thought tonight. If you're going to pray like Paul, pay attention to this. You need to pray specifically for the spiritual shortcomings of others. So that sounds really nosy. Well, just look at what Paul did. Don't, don't get mad at me. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 9. He says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, Night and day, 
praying exceedingly. He says, night and day. Some of us are doing good enough just to pray night or day. (laughs) Come on, y'all. It ain't just me. Some of us are doing good enough just to pray night or day. Paul's praying night and day. And he says, that's not enough. I'm praying night and day exceedingly. And that word exceedingly, it's like there's passion. I'm not just working my way through a prayer list. I'm burdened. There's depth there. There's concern there. And I'm praying for you night and day. Why? So that we might see your face and my perfect, here's the concept of his prayers. Underline this phrase, write it down. That we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That which is lacking. I think the content of Paul's prayers is perfectly summed up in that one phrase. He prayed for what was lacking in their faith. Because here's what Paul understood. Paul understood that spiritual work requires spiritual warfare. Paul understood that the only productive energy that you can have towards something you can't control is prayer. And so when Paul saw a spiritual issue, he didn't get annoyed by it. At least he didn't write it down. He didn't get angry about it. He didn't get worried about it. He prayed about it. You know why? Because being annoyed is not productive energy. Being angry is not productive energy. Being worried is not productive energy. But when you feel the burdens, when you see the reality of the spiritual shortcomings of others, the only productive energy that can flow from that is prayer. Specific prayer for that which is lacking in people's faith. What do you pray for? Well, look at verse number 12. He has two requests in this passage. I'll summarize a few others. He says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. So Paul prayed for the Thessalonians to increase in their love toward all people. Verse number 13. We talked about this a little bit to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Here's what he's praying for. He's praying that they'll have a life that is holy before God when they face the judgment seat of Christ. You can look in Romans chapter number 10 and verse number one, where he says, brethren, my heart's desire for Israel is that they may be saved. And Paul's prayer there was for Jewish people to be saved. You can look at 1 Timothy chapter number two, verses one through three, and you can see that Paul prayed for leaders of government to be saved. Hold up. Did we just talk about productive energy? Some of you got it. Some of you think about government leaders and you're angry, you're annoyed, you're worried. Can I remind you that productive energy towards the government leaders you see that you think their their policies are taking us in a bad direction? It's prayer. And Paul commanded you and commanded me to pray for leaders of government. Why? So that they could be saved. And ultimately, so our lives could be just a little bit easier if they got saved. That's actually what it says in the text. I'm not making that up. Paul prayed for the unity of the church in Romans chapter number 15. He prayed for the Ephesians that they may know Christ better and have more fully experience his resurrection power. Colossians 1.9, Paul prayed for the Colossians that they might have a fuller understanding of God's will. Do you know someone who's facing a decision? Maybe you should pray for them that they would have a fuller understanding of God's will. Paul prayed for the Thessalonians in 
in chapter number five, to be wholly sanctified by God. He prayed in Philemon that Philemon would be more effective in communicating his faith. Hey, here's the sum total of what he did. He was praying for spiritual needs of people. Are you following me, church? He was praying specifically. I don't think his prayers were just, God bless this person, bless that person. If you're going to pray like Paul, here's what has to happen. Your prayers must be saturated with the concern for God to supply what is lacking in people's faith. For God to supply it. What would happen if when you noticed a church member had gone wayward, if you began to pray for them specifically and fervently? What would happen if when you notice someone had been absent for several weeks, instead of just asking another church member where they've been, if you've been praying specifically for them? What would happen if the teenager that you noticed wasn't behaving well, good job teenagers, by the way, that wasn't behaving well in church and had an attitude, what would happen if instead of you um, getting onto them because that makes you feel good, if you just prayed for them, prayed for their mom and dad? What would happen if you noticed the, the couple in your connection group that argues just a little bit too much or doesn't seem to be very close and kind of is like they scoot as far away as possible in their two chairs that are next to each other? What, if, what would happen if you just prayed for those people? What would happen if instead of gossiping as a church, we were praying? Hey, I'm, I'm so blessed. We are in a church where we are seeing spiritual progress all the time. Praise God. God is the one who gets the glory and the credit because God is the one who's working through different laborers in this harvest field to make that happen. But I just can't help but wonder if we had a church that prayed like Paul, how much more progress would we see? If we had a church that prayed for lost people in our community, that prayed for people in their circle of influence, how much more people would we see saved? If we had a church that prayed for our ministry with the depth that Paul prayed for his ministry, how much more would the gospel move forward in liberal Kansas and beyond? I'd like to think it would go a lot farther. Because Paul prayed specifically for very uh, spiritual matters that were lacking in these people's lives. Why should we pray for people specifically? Because here's what I think it does. It helps us to focus on contributing to their lives, not being a consumer. Contributing, not consuming. I think it helps prevent bitterness. You know, you can't pray for people if you're harboring bitterness in your heart towards them. Here's a lot, the other thing I wrote. You know why we should pray for people? Because we need all hands on deck. You know what I'm thankful for? Uh, if there's one thing I've learned about pastoral ministry uh, from the Prater duo, from the Bill Prater and the Tyler Prater combo uh, that has led this church for the last, my entire tenure on staff here. It's that we've had a pastor that has been dedicated twice now, two different pastors who've been dedicated to praying specifically for the spiritual needs of this church. But you know what? There are so many spiritual needs in this church. I think we could use a few more people praying about them. I'm thankful to God for a pastor that prays. Man, I, pr I pray for people that I'm leading spiritually. Our connection group leaders, they're challenged to pray for their connection group. But we could use a whole lot more hands on deck. 
They say many hands make light, make light work, but that's not just about moving tables in the fellowship hall. We need many hands on deck praying for spiritual needs in our church. But how do we get there? How do we pray like Paul did? How do we get our hearts to that place? Here, I want to give you a couple of quick sub-thoughts. Here's the first one. You can't pray for the spiritual growth of others if you're not willing to address your own spiritual growth. I'll be honest. This message is not Christianity 101. All right? If you're not on your own journey of spiritual growth, and listen, none of us are perfect. Can I get into witness to that? We, I have never-ending spiritual problems. Don't you? Never-ending. But, but I'm on a journey, and I'm trying to address those but if you have no concern about your own spiritual growth, I don't think you can pray like Paul. I'm just going to be honest with you. But here's the second one. If you're going to pray like Paul, you have to know people well enough to know how to pray for them. And that goes back to the first part. You got to love people and be invested beyond Sunday. And here's the last one. If you're going to pray like Paul, you need to be willing to be part of the solution. What do you mean by that, Mike? Look at verse number nine. Verse 10. I've read this verse probably six times, so you might have it memorized by now. He says, night and day, verse 10, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. So he says, I want to go to you in person. And the subject is still the same. And that we might, I'm adding those words, but the idea is there, that we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Here's what Paul's saying, and he's about to pray for them. He says, I'm going to pray for you to increase in love and to stand before God unblameable in holiness at the judgment seat of Christ. But I want to come visit you in person and I want to invest in you spiritually so that those two things will happen. I think sometimes we fall into two ditches when it comes to praying for spiritual needs of people. There are some people in this room that do a lot of things to try and help people spiritually, but they never pray. Right? And can I remind those people that spiritual work has to be done by a spiritual being, and you are not a spiritual being. God is a spiritual being. And God does the work. And you, man, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. And we'll talk about that in a minute. If, you, if all of your spiritual investment happens just by your hands and feet and not when you're on your knees. But then there's the other ditch of people who pray for others. They're burdened for others. They're concerned about others. They care about others. They love others, but they never are part of the solution. What do I mean by that? Here's what Paul's saying. I'm going to pray for your love to abound, but because I have a relationship and a connection with you, I'm going to invest in you and help you become that. And it would be foolish of you to offer a prayer to God, God, would you do this in my son's life? God, would you do this in my fellow brother's life? And if you have a relationship and a connection with them, it would be foolish for you to pray for them and never be willing, if God led you, to do something about that problem to provoke one another to love and good works. That he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. That you have to be willing to be part of the solution. And listen, I, I, could, I could spend a whole other message on when it's appropriate to do that, but we don't have time to do that. But let's just put a blanket over the whole message and say, this does not justify anyone being a busybody and being nosy. No, no, no. This is all rooted out of a heart of spiritual concern and care and love for other believers. And so here's the prayer challenge tonight. Every week I'm going to give you a prayer challenge. Identify a spiritual need in somebody you care about. Just somebody you care about. 
It could be your husband. Man, I know for a fact there, there is a part of who I am today that is because Shelby Collins prayed for some things that were lacking in my faith. And, and you have a husband who's, you know, thick gold like the rest of us. Why don't you pray for him? Amen. You have a wife that has some spiritual issues? Men, pray for her. You have kids who are out of line or you're dealing with things? Pray for them. Pray for that brother. Pray for that sister. And, and I, I could challenge you to pray for specific people you're involved with and specific things, but I, I would imagine that I'd hope the Holy Spirit would do his job of identifying somebody you care about deeply, that you know there's an area of their faith that is lacking and that you would just pray for them tonight. You'd pray for them tonight. And I don't know how this will show up on your prayer list. For me, uh, there, there are people in this church I have direct leadership over in my connection group. And so I have a, a specific list of those people that I pray for weekly. Will that be how it looks for you? I'm not sure. But I would hope that your prayer life would just have one more dimension added to it that because you love people beyond Sunday, that you would pray for them beyond Sunday. That a deep care for other people would lead you to specific prayer for them. And can I promise you something? You are going to get worn out. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get tired. And you're going to feel like giving up. Because you're going to pray about that one thing that's lacking for a year, for two years, for three years. And for some people, you'll see spiritual progress. And like last week, you'll be able to give God the praise for it. But in some people, you won't. But I want to just give you a reminder. Look to 2 Thessalonians. I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. And we'll be done. Sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1. What did Paul pray for in 1 Thessalonians? He said, I'm praying that your love would abound. And I'm praying that you would stand before God unblameable in holiness, that your life would be approved by God. I want you to look at what he gave God praise for. In 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse number 3, he says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. What was Paul concerned about? Their faith. Paul prayed for their faith and it was growing. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Prayer answered. Prayer answered. Verse number four. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. He, like I talked about last week, he's bragging about them for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Look at verse number five, which is a manifest token of the righteous. What's the next word? Judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. You know what verse number five is saying? He's saying that when, because you're persevering through trials, you are standing before God worthy and approved by his judgment. Paul prayed for them specifically and God answered specifically. And I can stand before you tonight, and in my short time of living this out, I can tell you of a truth, of a surety, that God answers specific prayers for spiritual needs. 
It doesn't always happen. There'll be times when you labor in prayer and you don't see fruit. But can I promise you, church, that if you'll get on your knees and do battle on your knees, because spiritual work requires spiritual warfare, that if you would pray for people, you would have the joy, the, the opportunity to see God work even without you. I said even without you. And it's fun to see God work through you, but in some ways, it's even more gratifying to see God do it without you. I've watched as our pastor, pastors have prayed for people. And they decided, should I confront them about this? Should I shepherd them through this? Should I talk to them about that? And they both decided, and I got to be in the room. No, let's just pray about it. And I've watched how God did a spiritual work without them ever talking to people. I believe church prayer works. When you have a deep care for people and you let it produce specific prayer, specific prayer works. Why? Because we serve a limitless and all-powerful God. And it's about time we as a church got serious about tapping into the power of prayer and realizing that our God can do far more ministry than we can ourselves. And we got on our knees at these altars and we prayed for the people we've been concerned about. We prayed for the people that we hope are persevering through trials. We pray for the sons and daughters that are wayward. We've prayed for people who haven't been in this church for years. We've prayed for people whose souls are lost and on their way to hell. Would we get serious church about prayer tonight? Out of a heart that's deeply concerned for others. Would you stand? Can I miss Kay come?